Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Our apologies for being away from hockey a little bit. We've got uh, the 13-3 and Vikings that have taken up a little more of our time recently, Judd. But the Minnesota Wild are starting to play some better hockey. And I know that Judd's Hockey Notebook is filled with notes. So pick a spot in your notebook and we can start wherever you want, Judd. Okay, uh, we will get to, to the return of Zach Parisi. We will get to the, the improved play of late of the Wild. We'll get to the fact that Miko Koivu has now scored two goals in the past th- 31 games, Matthew Collar. But here's where I want to start. Do you know how hockey is really good about having, like, a charities and, you know, hockey cares, and they come up with these cute things, right? I've got a new one for you. Okay. H R E. That stands for Hockey Ruins Everything. <laughs> All right? So here's where I'm going to start. <laughs> hockey Ruins Everything. This And this isn't even just Batman-related. This is actually the sport of hockey. We used to have the shootout ideas seem good at first, right? But then they couldn't figure out how not to have too many of them, and even hockey got tired of shootouts. Then we had outdoor games. I was reminded in seeing that the, the Sabres Rangers... Uh, played in the Mets ballpark on Monday, they got the lowest rating ever for an outdoor game because it's been ruined by the fact that there's been too many. Now we've got the World Juniors in your old town of Buffalo. Uh-huh. Right? 2000, I believe, and 11, the World Juniors, which is a great amateur tournament. It is great stuff. Comes to Buffalo, and it does fantastic, and that's great. So what, what do they do? They bring it back way too quick. They charge outrageous prices. And if you saw the beginning of the semifinal between the U.S. and Sweden on Thursday, there was nobody in the stands because HRE, hockey, ruins everything. And before I'm done, they've also managed, they, they are the only idiots to take technology and screw it up. The review process, all right? I'm at the Wild Panthers game on Tuesday night, and Granlin scores a goal. Nice goal. Drove to the net, which I really liked. And it it was a questionable goal a little bit, so they did the right thing. They review it. They declare it's a good hockey goal, right? The Panthers say, hey, wait, hold on a second here. The play looked offside to us now. So they then have to re-review that, and sure enough, it's no goal. Like, how is this not all done in one fell swoop? I still don't get. But I know why. HRE. Hockey ruins everything. Well, for all three of those things that you mentioned, uh, 
they all just defy logic on why you would have so many outdoor games the one year especially where they just went bananas when they had one in Los Angeles with and Kiss showed up remember that uh, yeah. I mean it was it was just that was complete madness to have that many of them and uh, yeah it's it's lost its magic it's lost its interest and if it's one time a year then it can be that thing that we all look forward to and maybe locally they do put a lot of butts in seats but if you're not having people watch it and gain interest through the TV market then what is the point of really doing it outside of, you know, yeah, we filled a stadium and it was pretty cool for the people who showed up, um, but you've lost any bit of magic that was left there. And now it's just it's almost like a cliche thing where, you know, they go, uh, OK, hey, Jason Pominville, what do you think? Oh, yeah, it's like when I used to play on the frozen pond or when all of us did this not that long ago. <laughs> right. Like it's exactly right. like that, because I think. Pominville must have been in his third one, I think, his third outdoor game. I mean, so, yes, you know, you're right. and, and, sure. it's, and it's always the Rangers or it's always the Bruins or it's always the Penguins and you've got the same teams. It's always the Blackhawks over and over again. And I see no reason for anyone who is not a hardcore hockey fan to watch it. And also, I would say this too, Judd, they still haven't figured out exactly how to show it on TV. Like, they... they First period at City Field. Yeah, they, You're right. they just have this like bizarre camera angle going on, and you can't really see what's going on. And until they figure out how to film it, it's not going to be that good either. And yep. yeah, I'm I'm 100 with you on on that one. And number two, the World Juniors. I think that's just unfortunate that they charge so much, and it's such a long tournament. The World Juniors. The game outside was cool with the snow coming down and the fans there and everything else. But with the other games, it seems there's almost no interest. And when it, you put it in such a place like Buffalo, there's only so much, there's only so many people who are going to go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean it's, it's not as easy to get from Canada to Buffalo as it sounds. I mean, if you're talking about people coming from Toronto, that's like two hours away. If you're traveling all the way from Toronto, you might go to one game and stay overnight at best. You're not staying for this whole tournament. It's not like people are just hopping across the border on a daily basis to come see these games. The greatest excuse is t- tournament officials have been have been very down about the fact there's bad weather. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, shocking. Buffalo, Buffalo, a lake effect city has bad weather <laughs> in, in December into January? I mean, it, there... Hockey's biggest problem is this. There's so little thought given to what they're doing, and at almost every turn with these people, it's about one thing, the dollar, yeah. right? Yep. The almighty dollar. I mean, the the Winter Classic outdoor hockey concept has become so screwed up because you did the first one in 08, Buffalo-Pittsburgh, and now you had the Crosby star power, and I get that, but you did Buffalo-Pittsburgh, and what people loved was it showcased the game in a different light, and it was really cool. And then NBC came back and said, became obsessed with, okay, and how do we keep making as much money as possible? And nobody said, we don't always need to have the Rangers or Blackhawks. We're actually trying to showcase the game. But they said, no, no, no. we we got to start playing these arbitrary games everywhere we can and have as big-name teams as possible because they somehow got confused between what made that first one successful. They thought it was star power. It wasn't star power. It was the fact that it was a one-off special thing, which they should have kept special, 
that showcased what makes the sport cool. They were convinced of, if we just put Crosby back on, we'll be fine. That was a piece of the puzzle. They thought it was the whole puzzle. Yeah, it was the one thing that people would actually watch who weren't hardcore hockey fans. I mean, there are some people that you know that will say, oh, you know, I'll watch hockey in the playoffs. But they'll watch a period. It's mostly hockey is the very much does not have casual fans. There are billions of casual football fans. There are lots of casual basketball fans who watch in the playoffs. I totally believe that when it's LeBron and Steph Curry that lots of people who never tune in are, are tuning into that. But when it comes to hockey, it's only if you really like hockey with that exception and you had that one chance to potentially get someone interested in watching hockey outside of it, and you've let that slip away in a very short period of time, just a couple of years. And the same thing goes for not having the players in the Olympics this year, where if you at all were going to create some memorable moments for people who normally wouldn't watch hockey, well, you threw that away by not having the players in the Olympics. And I understand why it's not. It's a huge logistical nightmare, but it's also one of the great opportunities to showcase the game that they are not taking advantage of. And to your replay point, just take replay, put it in a rocket ship, shoot it directly at the sun, and when it burns up, bring back the ashes, put them in another rocket ship, and shoot them to the sun. Well, I the don't off- ever want to see a replay ever again in hockey outside of, outside of was the puck over uh, the line. I get that is so hard. I get it. There's no way a ref can see was that one inch over the line. That's fine. Right. But if you're talking about a guy's skate blade just barely offside, well, if your refs can't see offside, that's their problem. Then you need better refs, or you need to train them better, or they need to be fired, or whatever. Or if you know what, Judd, if someone's a little offside and they score, that's fine with me. I don't care. Well, can you can you imagine how many thousands and thousands and thousands of goals were scored offside? Because we're now reviewing where a guy crossed the blue line. The goal can be scored two minutes after that. Right. That's ridiculous about this thing. They, the offsides review is is the equivalent to the pop-up slide in baseball. Yes. They, ne- yes. they, never, thought, they never thought this through, which is if a play goes on for two minutes and the linesman missed the call, and it's, especially in a sport where you're starved for goal scoring, you can't go back. Well, you can. They do, but it's stupid. You, you go back two and a half minutes and review it, and tell me what I saw as a spectator wasn't something because of a, some guy being... And by the way, the offsides rules we found out are some of the silliest things ever. Yes. I, can, I can back into the zone offsides if I have possession of the puck, but that's arbitrary to if you decide I do have possession, give me a bleep and break. So I am with you on the fact that too much of this replay... But here's the thing. In the National Football League, when you review something, they actually are supposed to review every element of that play to see if they can if uh, if other reviewable areas were violated. So what I think is just stupid and I've seen this at the X at least two or three times in the last couple of years is review gets done, good goal. Oh, now I want you now as the team, I want you to review offsides. It's not a good goal. It, that's moronic. If you're going to do this, do it all at once so you don't tell me it's a good goal and then a bad goal because that is so hockey to then contradict yourself. Oh, the double uh, the double review makes me never want to watch sports again. It's just a, if if you're in the stands or you're watching on TV, it's a nightmare. And why would you ever want to create a situation 
where your sport has 15 minutes where nothing happens or 10 minutes or however long it is where literally nothing happens and they just show the play over and over again. And the poor commentators, usually hockey is a great sport to do play-by-play or color. It's just going and going and going and going. And you've always got something new to talk about. There's tons of shots, tons of plays. And these two guys are just, well, I mean, I think the edge of his skate might, I mean, I, I think the guy might have bumped into the goalie. I, you know, it just stop it with that. Review whether it went over the line or not. You can review, to me, you should be able to review the high stick if a guy reached up to, to knock a puck down or not. Sure, you can I'll, see that. I think that's extremely difficult at full speed. But referees should be able to handle offsides, and if they miss it, oh well. They should be able to handle goalie interference, just have a clear standard for goalie interference, and then live with, oh. the, live with the calls. Don't get me started on that one. Because it's just so arbitrary. They can't. The league can't define it, and it basically goes call to call. So... You can never, you can never have that have that challenged, and be sure because in Calgary it'll be one thing, in Philadelphia it's different. It drives me crazy. Oh, one more hot take for you that just came to me today. Okay, could I make an argument as feel good a story as it is? Could I make an argument that the Vegas Golden Knights are the worst thing to happen to this league based on this expansion team? It's awesome that they've been put together, and it's a really really good story. And they're in, in a town that certainly had tragedy as they started, and I get all that. That being said, you have an expansion team that is playing this well and is and is almost sure now, I think, to make the playoffs. And meanwhile, you have a handful of teams that are in absolute dire straits. And it's as if you have it's as if you put a small salve on a huge wound. Like Florida's in awful shape, right? And Carolina's in terrible shape. And and Phoenix. Phoenix still has no idea what they're going to do. And meanwhile, everyone's saying, yeah, but the Vegas Golden Knights are this great story. This league is failing to address. Matthew, they have two teams in Canada that are in trouble. The yeah. Ottawa Senators and Calgary Flames have building problems. They're in big trouble. The Ottawa, the Ottawa owner gets up at a feel-good Heritage Classic press conference to talk about his outdoor game and threaten the city. And meanwhile, you got the Vegas Golden Knights, and everyone wants to say, look at them, look at them, look at them. I'm looking around this league at least five teams and saying, what the hell are you doing about the team that are in trouble? And then the double whammy is this. The league's now saying, we're going to Seattle for about $650 million in a couple of years. Right. When the, the NBA had similar problems for a while, and maybe has even had some fairly recently with you know the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, but you go back with the Vancouver Grizzlies. They start the expansion in Vancouver, and then it's really quickly in Memphis. And I feel like the NBA has turned itself around, and it's got these huge deals and uh, the TV deals, and everybody's getting paid. And somehow Cole Aldrich makes more money than Kyle Rudolph, which is just my favorite stat. The guy never plays, and the, the other guy scores touchdowns for the Vikings all the time. and <laughs> Like, he gets more money somehow. Uh, Difference in unions, baby. That's right, what that is. Right. So so everybody everybody's making cash, and the NBA is just – is just rolling and what turned it around really i think is the warriors and lebron and just this rise of really fun basketball that got people interested in great storylines i don't know how hockey does that judd and, and, and a bunch of bad decisions like you're mentioning putting arenas way away from downtown areas and things like that especially with putting the uh the arizona coyotes in glendale 
uh, as opposed to in downtown Phoenix, it seems to have been a mistake. And I think early in their history, they did play in downtown Phoenix and had they did. Uh, it, it, yeah, the right, and they had much better attendance at that time, uh, which yep. may have been novelty, but also may have been location. So they've made a bunch of mistakes. I I, I really like the Golden Knights story, but. If you're adding Seattle to, I think you are hurting the product a bit by adding another team and going to 32. And uh, I definitely think that if that doesn't work out, if you go to Seattle and they love it at first and then they get bored of it, or if Vegas, they're good, but then they get not good. Let's say they end up like the Wild where they're first round and then they're out or whatever and they bring in a football team, all of a sudden – the interest switches over to the football team and other mm-hmm. things, and you might have another problem on your hands eventually. Um, I could definitely see that happening in Seattle. If they got the Supersonics back, then all the interest would be there, and you might end up with more problems. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know how to solve. There's so many issues with these teams, and it seems like they've been going on forever. The Florida Panthers, I think three times in a row in the early 2000s, were sold for less than they were the last time or something like that, which is, which is, which is horrible. I mean, if you have a franchise, a sports franchise that doesn't improve in its value, that's just like unbelievable with the way sports are right now. And you're right. The league is in trouble. We've got another CBA coming up eventually here. I I don't know how things are going to go with that. And adding another team to it is not the answer. H-R-E. Hockey ruins everything. All right, what's next on your list? Um, let's see here. How about how about the, the return of Zach Parisi on Tuesday night against the Panthers? So he, he comes back from his back uh, surgery, which he had in October. He hadn't played this year. I think we need to be careful on expectations here, Collar. Like I, I heard on the game last night against Buffalo, which the Wild won, I think it was 6-2, to two, the, you know, talking about, well, we're sure Zach Parisi will be on the second line or the first line, top six in a week or so, I think we need to dial this back a little bit. Um, when a guy who is over 30 is coming back from a, a herniated disc surgery, basically, uh, certainly you hope and have expectations for him. But I need to see a good two weeks of solid play because I think to just make the assumption that he had the surgery and he's fine might be too quick a leap. Well, I noticed that he's playing 15 minutes a game in these first two games. I think it should stay there. And, of course, the back injury, back surgery is not something to ever take lightly for short or long term and the type of impact it might have on his game. But keeping him as a player that they don't have to rely on to carry them in any way um, might be more beneficial to him and not asking him to play entire penalty kills or entire power plays and getting limiting his minutes a little bit, protecting him a little bit early on, especially to see where he's at. But even as we go along for his long term over the next few years, because of his contract, this man is not going anywhere unless he retires. And he might have to be a 14 or 15 minute player a night, which is going to drive him crazy, but is also something that Bruce Boudreaux did with Jason Pominville last year. He dropped Pominville's ice time from around 18, 19 minutes a game to 14, and it helped Pominville a ton. Like, some of these guys are just spending too much time out on the ice when they're over 30 or they've had injuries like that. I, I think it's a it's a model that worked with Pominville, and it could work with Parisi again, so long as Parisi is okay with that. 
Yeah, well, and he probably won't be, but I, I would say I wouldn't care right now um, because you, you're right. This guy is under contract. I think he's in year six of that 13-year deal right now. And I, I think the question that you have to ask yourself for, for this year and more so for the long term is how can we how can we maximize him? And keep in mind, too, with that style of play, I mean, he sets himself up on a nightly basis to basically get run, and he goes in, in the corners and drives to the net. So I think, I think if he gets frustrated, you have to pull him aside and you have to say, Zach, we have to be very, very smart because you're not 23 now. You play a style of game that, that we appreciate the fact that you're not going to change that style of game. All of that being said, to have the best opportunity possible to keep you on the ice for the long term, we need to be very, very smart here. So... I just think the, the rush to assumption that he's going to go back to being the Parisi that we saw five, six years ago is probably a leap that is, uh, that's a little bit dangerous and could be misguided for the long term. Okay, so you had Miko Koivu also on your list of notes. What do you have on Miko Koivu? Okay, so uh, last time I watched the Wild game, and uh, I was sick at home, so I was on the couch. I couldn't go to the game against Buffalo. And Miko scored a goal, and I believe, I, I looked this up, I believe it's his second goal in 31 games. He scored against the Senators a few weeks back. Um, remarkably, until then, he hadn't scored, I think he had scored that one goal since the start of November. Um, so I'm listening to the analyst starts talking about Miko and how we don't understand what a great two-way player he is and all he does, and that Miko's un- underappreciated. Basically, the storyline that we've been told about Koivu for quite some time now. And I'm thinking to myself, in my conversations with you, a plugged-in hockey guy who studies such things, I don't think this is true. I think Miko Koivu, I'm not saying he's a terrible player. Um, and two years ago, I said, he strikes me at the third-line center. And I really think that last year his play improved. I thought that he took a step forward from where he played two years ago, and if I'm not mistaken, he was a Selkie Award finalist and had a very nice year. But there's nothing that I've seen from Koivu this year that leads me to believe that he's not a third-line center who is who can be, I guess you could describe him as South. But I think to go back to this underappreciated line is a leap of faith. Um, well, I, yes, that's correct. And uh, third-line center is perfect for where he is in his career right now and the amount of minutes that you should ask him to play and who you should ask him to play against. Um, he could still go take a tough defensive zone face-off, but if you're matching him up, I think that you probably want him matching up with the other team's third-line center and hope that he's a better third-line center than them, as opposed to where it might have been in his career, you felt like you could put him out against Taves or against Kopitar, against some of the best in the league. You Which might they want... still do. Right, yeah, they still do. And, and I think that's a fair thing to do because he's so good in the face-off circle, so especially if it's in the defensive zone, I could see that. And they had a lot of success with that last year, starting transition because he won face-offs. Uh, but now, as we get into the older parts of his career, uh, you do have to kind of decide where he's going to slot in because I don't think it's the type of guy who could be at, at the top of the, the lineup. And, you know, here's a somewhat disturbing stat for you, Judd. 41 games, he has tw- uh, 21 points, which doesn't – it's not that bad, right? But nine of his assists have come on the power play, meaning at five-on-five – He's only got six assists all year long. Wow. That, I mean, that is not, that's not very good for a guy playing with the teammates that he's playing with. 
I mean, th- yep. think about this to put it in context. Or, well, I guess it m- must be one of those m- was in overtime because I'm looking at just the five-on-five regular numbers here. And so he's got five assists and four goals at just regular five-on-five. Tyler Ennis this year, Judd, has four goals and four assists. Matt Cullen has four goals and five assists. Yep. Jonas Brodeen has three goals and four assists. I mean, you have defensemen who have the same numbers or much, much better five-on-five numbers than uh, Miko Koivu, and no matter how much he's impacting the game on defense, the fact that Ennis is playing half the minutes of him and has really struggled for most of the season and still has almost the same five-on-five numbers for production, I mean, that's certainly nowhere close to a top-six center that has to be more of a third or even fourth line center type production and you're going to need more from that and there's nothing judd that really says oh oh, a hot streak is coming because you'll a, a lot of times you'll have that where you know maybe a guy is struggling for half a season and we all overreact and then oh man here he comes with five goals in five games well koivu's shooting percentage is only down about two percent from his career so maybe he's gotten a few bad bounces but it's more that it's just him not having any ability to score at this point. I can, I contend, and that this is just from the test that he's lost at least at least one more step. I yep. mean, just consistently be and and to go back what we've talked about a lot before was last year with Granlin and Zucker that line was going so well in part because those two the two wings were the speed guys, and and his line now hasn't come close to capturing that. On a consistent basis, Granlin, of course, had the groin going back to training camp, which supposedly slowed him down a lot. But yeah, I mean, Koivu now, Koivu now to me is where I thought he would be last year when he popped up and played pretty well. Which is he's an aging player. He seems to be too often, in my opinion, in this town, though bulletproof because yeah. he's the captain and he's Miko Koivu. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of honest reflection on the fact that well, no, he's an aging player who has had a nice career here, but this is not like a Hall of Fame player. This is a guy who had a nice career, but this is also a guy who I think if if you had had your center spot where you desired it to be, you would be able to ease into a third-line defensive role and say, Nico, play your career out here. Unfortunately, the Wild doesn't have that because they've got Stahl, who's played well, but is, what, 32, 33 himself, and Koivu. And, I mean, this goes back to our discussion at center, which is this team is woefully short in a league where if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you need a top-line center. This team simply does not have it. Well, you know, the way that Eric Stahl has been playing, I think he is much closer to a top-line center over the last two years than this organization had for quite some time. And I think that he's just sort of slotted in, and we've liked how he's played and haven't been surprised by it maybe since midseason last year where we realized, okay, this isn't a fluke. Eric Stahl is just good, and and that helps them fill that spot because if he wasn't there, then they would be in severe trouble with the center position, especially since Joel Erickson Eck hasn't shown up. Uh, the thing that comes to mind for me more with the Koivu discussion is the contract. Now, I, here's a crazy stat for you, Judd. Five-on-five scoring in the NHL. I would like you to guess how many players this year have more five-on-five points than Miko Koivu. How many many NHL players, not just forwards, but defensemen too? Is Miko somewhere buried in like the 200s or something? 
279 players have more even strength points. I'm not surprised one bit. Yeah. I've watched them play all year. I've watched them play all year. And it's just, I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to dump on Koivu, but what I am saying is this town's, this town is so taken with, you don't understand his game. No, I do. I get his game, but he's a guy who you gave another contract extension to. All I wanted was this for this to be the last year of his contract and for a decision to be made after the season. There was no reason to rush into that contract. Well, and, and what he's giving you now is just a, a player that's replaceable for much less money. Like you can find a guy that gets a handful of even strength yes. points for, for way less that can win face-offs. And, Vermette I mean, can win me face-offs. I'll uh, get Antoine Vermette. He's old. He can win me face-offs. Uh, Funny enough, Antoine Vermette has the same number of even strength points. And, hey, Matt Cullen is that guy, too. And he wouldn't play as many minutes, but it's the same production and it's the same winning faceoffs. I mean, there are guys, this might change as we go along, but Jordy Ben has more points. Not the other Ben, Jordy Ben, the defenseman. Dimitri, Montreal, right? Dim, yes, Dimitri Kulikov has more even strength points. Chris Stewart has more even strength points. I mean, these are some of these guys don't even play a lot of minutes, and it it is a small sample of a half of a season, but it really tells you about how ineffective he's been in terms of producing. That his numbers are actually even worse than they look, and twenty one points in forty one games isn't particularly good. Now, Judd, on the other side of the coin, one of the reasons that the Wild have started to turn things around recently is the play of two guys who have been heavily scrutinized in this town, one of them being Matt Dumba and the other one being Mikel Granlund. Granlund is now up to 30 points in 36 games. Matt Dumba one of he, Matt Dumba is fourth in even strength scoring on the wild, and he's, huh? and he's a defenseman, has 21 points in 41 games. I think what Matt Dumba has done here uh, over the last, I want to say maybe f- six weeks, is made Chuck Fletcher look a lot better for what he gave up to keep Matt Dumba around. And what and what started Dumba being turned around? The fact that they told Ryan Suter, hey, Ryan, guess what? You're going to play with, with Dumba. It worked. And, of course, now that they've been separated and Suter got Spurgeon back because I'm sure he insisted on that, and now Dumba's with Brodeen. But this all goes back to what we talked about several times before when I said play Suter with Dumba. Dumba seems stabilized now. I mean, he's is he ever going to be a great defensive defenseman? Absolutely not. But his confidence at one point was so shaken. And they were pairing him with, uh, with Brodine, I think, at the time. His confidence fell apart completely. He was making stupid decisions in the defensive zone. And then the problem was he was offering you up very little offensively. I think the time with Suter got him stabilized to a point now where if you're expecting Dumba to become a perfect defenseman, it's happened. But what he does give you is what so many guys in this league can't from the blue line, which is offensive opportunity, and that's hard to find. So I do think that the time with Suter worked, uh, and and but the way he's played of late is why I did not want to uh, give him away in the expansion draft or trade him because these guys are hard to find. And Mikel Granlund having a really good season again, Judd. It was something that I – Doubted a bit with Granlin what type of production he would have, and he was injured early, and it looked like he struggled early uh, quite a bit, maybe coming back too, uh, too soon from that injury. But now at 30 points in 36 games, um, he might be looking at another 60-point type season, and at his price, that's, that's not bad. 
And now one of the things that I brought up over the offseason was that Grandland was probably at his most valuable. He would stay that way now, I, I would say, since he's put together a really good last two seasons. Um, do you, have you changed the way that you feel about Grandland as one of the centerpiece players of this team? Uh, not yet. Here, here's what I want. So, so you beat up on the Panthers on Tuesday. The Panthers landed here, came off the airplane and said, when can we get back on and go home? The Florida Panthers didn't give a damn. Buffalo, as you know, is just not good, okay? Uh, the national game on Friday for Granlin and Saturday, they were at pressure. But here's what I want from this entire team, Granlin included. Consistency. And that includes the consistency of driving the net. If you saw the Buffalo game, the Florida game, the reason, in my opinion, the biggest reason why the Wild lost the first-round playoff series to the Blues was because they were unwilling, because it's tough to do. It's not a fun job. It sucks. They were unwilling to drive the net. So Allen would make the first save, and then guess what? If there was a rebound, the Blues picked it up and cleared it, right? So so what I want from Granlund, Nino consistently. Now, now he got the hat trick against Buffalo and definitely drove the net in that game. But what I want consistently from this team is to do the jobs that aren't fun to do. When this team can put together months upon end where they are doing that, I'll be sold. But until then, with this team, it's always like, our back's against the wall now, so so we'll do these things. And then they'll go through a nice stretch where they'll play pretty well, and they will back off. So what I want from all of these guys is consistency for a long period of time. Do you feel like as you watch them win and sort of bounce back and get in the race a little bit here, do you feel like this is not necessarily the best thing for the franchise going forward because it will convince them that they were actually good all along? Like that, oh, oh, it was just the early season injuries and we're actually good and we're a real competitor and we're going to get in the playoffs. No problems here. We don't need to make a big trade. We don't need to make a splash. We don't need to put some guys out on the market. We're fine. We're good. This is a Stanley Cup competitor because we've gotten on a hot stretch here. My truthful response to that is everything you just said is absolutely true. And, yes, I mean, I I will go back to what I've said since this season started. I feel the wild stuck. You've got an owner who, who thinks he can get a Stanley Cup, which I think is nonsense. You've got a GM in the last year of his contract who is not going to make any trades that are going to hurt the present team. How, however, I'm not convinced the present team is really very well. And you've got a coach who, by the way, I exonerate. I like Boudreaux a lot. I think Boudreaux does a really good job. But you've got a coach who was brought here to win now immediately and has have no interest in trading veteran guys away. But all of that being said, I look at the way this roster is constructed. I look at, I look at elements of this team, and I say, do you really see this team getting in the playoffs and going on a run? And I say, absolutely not. Because when you look at this room and you look at this group of players, I don't see the intestinal fortitude to play months, a months long period where you are going to do the things it takes to win. And, and that's a very hockey thing to say, but the game that they played against Buffalo is a game that you need to come back and play consistently against really good teams. But the, but it seems to me like the first couple times that this team gets punched in the mouth, they say, you know what? It ain't worth it. So, what you're saying, I agree with. Unfortunately, there's nobody in the decision-making process, executive-wise, for this team right now who's going to say that what what you said is right. They're going to say, oh, you, no, no, it's going to be fine. As you just said, they'll blame injuries. 
they'll say Dubnik might get hot. I feel this team has been consistently fooling itself from an organizational standpoint for a long time. Uh, last thing before we leave you, um, a great stat from Nito Niederreiter, who came back in the lineup and was great. 22 goals for, 11 goals against with him on the ice this year, Judd. And that, I mean, that's how different they've been with him in the lineup and with him out of the lineup is that they are doubling up the other team in goals. And it's not a fluke because when he is on the ice, they also have the best shot differential, shot attempt differential, and scoring chance differential as well with Niederreiter on the ice. And uh, I guess I would suggest that maybe he deserves a little more ice time than he even gets. But I, maybe these numbers would also say that Boudreaux has him in the exact right position in the exact right number of minutes because he is dominating when he's on the ice so far this year, and they're a completely different team. And another stat for you, on the opposite side of the spectrum, Charlie Coyle, when he is on the ice so far this year, has been outshot 172 to 140, which is the worst on the squad. So if they're looking to potentially make a move, uh, maybe you can convince someone out there that Charlie Coyle is a power forward. I mean, hey, Chuck Fletcher got convinced that Marcus Felino was going to be a power forward and score a bunch. So why not somebody else who still loves Charlie Coyle? If that's the guy that you're going to move, I think he's got a big sample of very mediocre numbers um, that might still convince somebody to make that move. But it also says, Judd, he's one of those players that in the offseason we were looking at like – well, he just had one of his better career years. If you're going to do it, you should do it now. Yeah, I hate to go all all puck again, but I will. You watch Coyle play, and Coyle should be not a dominant player, but he should be a dominant physical presence consistently, and he never is. He goes through long stretches where he doesn't. I, I don't get it, but it drives Boudreaux nuts. He doesn't want to shoot the puck, which makes no sense. Sometimes he doesn't want to drive the net, which is what he should be doing. It's just it's maddening. Uh, so do you do you think does the Wilds return to full health change your, your view of this team at all or not? Because I'm still I'm still very mixed about them. It doesn't. I think they're still a first round out caliber team that would need Devin Dubnik to be unbelievable in a playoff series in in order for them to win. And they're not controlling the play. Last year, they weren't controlling the shot counter, but they were getting way more scoring chances. This year, that's much closer to even. So they're just going to need great goaltending and then some of these one-dimensional players to get hot all at the same time. That's very hard to do. And uh, the Western Conference is probably a little stronger with the Kings back and Nashville kind of running away with being the best team in the West. You don't look like one of the top competitors going into it. Unless you make a move. And and that's where, as we get toward the deadline, this team should not be saying, oh, who can we rent? That was last year. Who can we rent? This year it might be, how can we change the structure of what we've had here for a very long time that has not worked? And that's the hardest type of trade to make, especially if you're in the race, but it might be the one that they need to make. Well, yeah. I, and I, if, if so someone comes to you and offers you a lot, Eric Stahl, do you take it? Because mm. if I'm the Wild, I do. Yeah, well, I mean... But, I, but they're, they're not going to. Chuck that, Fletcher, 
will not do in the last year of his contract. There's no way he's going to do that. They're not going to do that, and it really my answer would depend on where they are. I mean, if they're if they're four points out of a playoff spot at that point, then I would say absolutely yes. But if they're so solidly in a playoff spot, then you've just got to give it another try, and there's nothing you can do. Do, do you foresee them odds wise? What what would you say the odds of them being solidly in a playoff spot is going to be? Uh, I would say maybe sixty percent, probably. I think I they're. Think that, I think they're more likely not, especially since Chicago is struggling. I think more likely than not, they are solidly in a playoff spot when we get to, or at least at least in one on that day when we get to the deadline. All right, I need to see. I'm just. I've seen this team pull this act for so long. I, I've become cynical of their abilities to be consistent. Last year was a really nice year, but the the pattern of this team is so up and down. So it drives me nuts. All right, Judd. Well, thank you, and thank you all for listening to Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. We will be back periodically as the Vikings are marching toward the Super Bowl, and then once the football season is over, it will be all sorts of hockey talk with Judd and I, and we'll also be on on Saturdays on the radio if any of you ever want to tune in. So we will catch you all then, and good day, and enjoy your hockey.